Uh, Gene, we probably should introduce ourselves, even though I think everyone here is in the first session. So uh, Gene and I have written this book together, uh, and Gene is the expert on how to work with policy and politicians, and I bring the bridge of stuff to it, and uh, we're glad to have you in, the, in this uh, workshop and look forward to um, us all working together to have a much bigger impact on what's happening around poverty issues in the country. So, Gene? Well, I'll go ahead and take it away. Um, uh, first, I do want to thank Phil for having asked me to um, work with him on this book. That happened in November of 15. This book took 30-some months to complete, and um, uh, it's been a real labor of love and uh, friendship. So as we go through this, I want to tell everybody, remind everybody that some things are not as they initially appear to be, and I'm sorry about that, but that's just how life is sometimes. And I love this photo. Look, kittens. These two little girls think they have found a little bevy of kittens to play with, and uh, instead those are baby skunks. And in case you're wondering, baby skunks come born fully equipped. So this was going to be a little, shall we say, a little surprise later on. And you're going to find some of the stuff here that when you look at it, you're going to think it's one thing, but it may actually be another. So so this is to uh, go ahead and give you a little bit of context. We're going to do some additional drill down. Um, and this is from page 141 of the book, Bridges Across Every Divide. And we ask everybody, is your advocacy sufficient? And in doing this, I was inspired from Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, Nobel Prize winner in economics, uh, actually a, a practicing psychologist. And these are numerical. These are, these are just simply, there's our numbers. These are not necessarily subjective. So uh, we think it will give you a really good idea if, if, if your advocacy is sufficient. So your people score, number of regions, your experience score, okay? Um, your impact score, and these are all the areas that your it, that your policy work will have impact in. Once again, notice that, that you can jump easily across all the various silos. And of course, we only think the only place we should have silos in America is on our farms. So, number of and your experience score, and. So, um, and uh, finally, you'll notice there the number at the very last one of that on um, your experience score, number of copies or bridges across every divide you've handed out to elected officials, limit 10. We encourage you to do that. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Phil. <laughs> All right. Phil's laughing. Notice I'm not. I'm dead serious uh, about that one. Yeah. So I hope you guys... Um, <laughs> I, uh, so th this is one you've seen before too, and you know, just to bring us back into the subject and uh, where we were the last time we were together, seems like, was it about a month ago, it seems. And uh, in the center of this is a common language, uh, and that comes from the various books and trainings that are available at a hot process. So we, we start from there, and then you can identify where you are on this. I mean, we actually went through a whole lot more sectors than this. So imagine many more circles around there to represent all the sectors that you have involved. And 
and I would point out that at AHA we have uh, a, a different book or for every one of these sectors except for banks. Uh, and I would say we do a lot with early childhood, but uh, there's one book called, it was about uh, Tucker signing strategies for we little people and how they learn to read. So we've got, I would say something for everyone, but uh, bankers per se in it. So just so you, when you are building your initiative in your community, know that uh, we can really drill down specifically into various sectors as we go. I think that uh, most of you are already really engaged with our work, but for those that are new, I thought it might help if you uh, sort of saw the sequence of what transpires to get to the place where you can really start talking policy. So it always begins with people being introduced to the greatest idea. It comes from our national trainers. Uh, then soon after that, the communities will get their own certified so that they can have their own and have a team of people in the community and in your organization. So the concepts are introduced that way. Sure, that most places begin using getting ahead and just getting by world to engage people who are in poverty. And then uh, people begin to apply the ideas at every level, uh, in every sector. And, and this is what turns in, us into a learning community because as you innovate, then you begin to share your ideas. And so this is a natural, organic, necessary development that takes place in bridges communities. But we can be intentional about it. So if you're new, you would want to work this sequence yourself. Uh, then you would form a bridges collaborative because, as Gene says, we need to operate above the silos so that while we're all uh, applying it, we apply it differently, but we can learn from each other. The beauty of this is to get outside of uh, the, se the sectors that we've been working in and uh, get ideas from all over the place. Then, um, and while this is happening, and as you get to know people who are going through getting ahead, you're going to find that uh, the getting ahead graduates are going to inform you about the, what the barriers are. And so uh, when you've heard about the barriers, we realize that people are going to find it really hard following getting ahead to get out of poverty because of the conditions in America today. Um, we're going to need to be able to address policies. And there, uh, this workshop uh, fits in. So Gene and I can do to help. Uh, our strategy is to, of course, webinars and the like to this, but we are also uh, quite happy to be your community. Uh, because this is quite new, the first place we're going to be going is Toledo, Ohio. But here's what we, when we are uh, at your, your place, we will be working very close to you. We, we don't think of ourselves as the experts that could opt into your community. Uh, we act, think of ourselves as part of your team. And we would uh, bring the attention of your community to your work. And we would expect you to be planning the event with us and actually uh, channeling it, directing it in the direction you need it to go. And we're there to assist you to do that. The, uh, this can in include uh, things like uh, being on NPR stations and the like, uh, visit at 
at the State House of Ohio who's with NPR and told us that she can uh, introduce us to all the NPR stations. Who is that? Um, Karen Kassler. By the way, Karen Bill, Kassler? Every, time you, every time you move to your uh, screen, you get feedback. Oh, okay. So I'll sit back. Thank you. Uh, so talk a little bit about, you know, how we can expand their reach. You know, uh, if we can get to NPR stations and if we can talk to Rotary clubs and your animal clubs in town, uh, we would want you to come with us to be part of that storytelling. And we would hope you would bring a getting head graduate. And I do need to so, emphasize. Uh, we've been kind of. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to emphasize that uh, it really is all about you folks, that they really are not. They're much more interested in hearing from you than they are to hearing from us. Right. Uh, we were on uh, Karen Kassler's uh, television show, and earlier we were on one in, in Cleveland. And we and we have getting at graduates and, and people that are organizers in their community talking, too. So um, we find that your storytelling is really, well, you make everything concrete. You know, we uh, tend to be talking about the abstract, and you're talking about what's happening right there in your city. So our focus then would shift over to uh, policy work. And we want to be able to, while we're there, uh, work with you to design meetings with uh, your staff, your leaders, your uh, the people that are that you serve, and uh, begin to work through our structures and format to uh, affect policy. So just think that we would organize uh, all of this with you, so that when uh, we left, you'd be in a position that was uh, much stronger to be able to impact uh, policy issues. So um, one of the things that we talk about at the end of the book is holding what we call Tocqueville meetings. And I know in our last session, we talked just a little bit about the French fellow Tocqueville, and we were so taken with his uh, positive ideas about what America was like in that we come together and solve problems in our communities was his big observation. And uh, we rarely uh, you know, fail to help each other when we have problems to, to overcome. So, uh, in these Tocqueville meetings, in our second last chapter, we talk about who should attend. And of course, that's all classes, all races, all sectors, all political persuasions. Uh, the prerequisite, prerequisite is for people to get into planning to have been trained in bridges. Uh, that means that uh, hopefully you've got certified bridges trainers out there training in your community all the time. And if you have legislators, for example, that and, and mayors and count, uh, county commissioners and so on, uh, you would want them to know something about bridges going into it as well. So that's the kind of groundwork that we would hope would be in place. Um, the, the idea of identifying the problems is basically listening to people who are in poverty, the getting ahead graduates. And then uh, we would be talking about how to get everyone to the table. And that's what happens in uh, in these Tocqueville meetings. And in my next slide, you'll you see how they're they're engaged. Ultimately, then it, it comes down to specific plans and action steps and accountability and all the things that need to happen in order to be able to uh, really have a sophisticated and comprehensive approach to the poverty issues that you're facing. Now, in in that second last chapter. We have four ways of engaging all classes and avoiding 
the OWM syndrome. And uh, Gene knew exactly what I meant when I put this up. And this is old white men syndrome. This has to do with uh, the power structures in the U.S. are still uh, largely dominated by old white men. And so in order for the Tocqueville meeting to have, have break through that and imagine all the different uh, diverse people that are going to be in the room that I just listed, uh, there are four things I found that might help do that. And we're just saying, look at these and decide which one you want to research a bit more. And, uh, and these strategies get everybody talking and they kind of take away the typical decision-making structures that happen when it's run by the OWMs. So there's this thing called a, a six thinking hats. You can see the different colors that are used. And uh, these hats have different roles. And so when you're wearing a black hat, for example, you're looking for the problem areas, you know, in the ideas that are being proposed. Uh, the green is when you're getting innovative and, and people are really, the, the blue I think is when you're looking at data. So we have these different meanings according to the, the colors of the hat. And then to good, do good work, you need to wear all these hats. And there's different sequences in which to do them. So uh, your meeting can run around these ideas and that way gets everyone involved. Another idea is the Socratic method, which is not a debate, but a way to you know, dig deeper into complex ideas. And, and uh, there's a methodology for this too. And again, everybody becomes involved in uh, learning and listening from each other. Uh, mind mapping and it connects the dots between information and the central subject. And these are very visual ways of learning and say the same with the flow charts, but that's when you're becoming more specifically aimed at steps and decisions and, and those more tight sequences. So these are just ways to, to get us all at the table to have us all involved. So you imagine that when you have these meetings, it's not a time for the elected officials to hold forth it's time for them to listen. And so they are there for learning purposes, not for presenting their ideas. So, so this is a whole different approach to this. And of course, you would probably want them want to invite their aides as well. So identifying the problems, uh, this was actually done by Elizabeth Waller's study. Uh, she did a national study of getting ahead um, folks from the beginning to the end of getting ahead and they identified these things in this order. And I don't, I'm, I'm interested that bad debt and unemployment were near the very top transportation is just no surprise. But the idea is that uh, you will listen to and hear about specific issues in your community from the people that are experiencing it. And that brings so much value and power uh, to the conversation. So uh, another thing that you might want to look at is uh, and think about is uh, what we learn during getting ahead by listening to people as they create those mental models of poverty. And I found that something that's a very close approximate to what we find in getting ahead is a paper called Poverty Interrupted. And uh, if you want to jot that down, a quick search will take you directly to it. And what they say is that the costs of poverty are time, money, attention, and cognition. Time is one of the first things that people in poverty have put on their 
mental model of poverty is how much time they spend coming to our agencies. And the other things on this list won't surprise you if you're at all familiar with getting ahead, unexpected shocks and events. If you live in a really unstable world, uh, things are, uh, are dropping out under your feet on a daily basis. Instability is a synonym for poverty. Uh, the cash flow, money flow is so uneven that it just causes so much disruption. So those pay, this pay schedules are often a problem. Hidden fees are were uh, listed uh, by the folks in the study, but also in in uh, here. So uh, there are temporal, in other words, thinking costs. Uh, everything takes longer. Uh, the brain deals with the urgent things. We call it the tyranny of the moment, and it drains mental energy. So we know these things, but I would encourage you to read this paper because uh, it points us to uh, some ideas around uh, dealing with policy issues that you run into uh, first in your own agencies. And when we put up that poll and, and what 70% of you said that you're making changes at your agency, that's wonderful. You probably have already done these things. The things you've done uh, may be duplicated in every single agency, you know, or something like it having to do with time and and uh, hassles that, that we actually put before people in our structures and processes. Uh, you also, a number of you have made thing, changes at the community level, so you might already too be dealing with these things. Uh, but this is a way to become more uh, specific, you know, about that look into these uh, issues. Now, in, in Poverty Interrupted, their policy suggestions are to build in slack the middle class have a buffer, a, a slack to have things go right and wrong and different things can happen, but you aren't hit by them in the same crisis mode that those same things would create for someone who's uh, under-resourced and living in an unstable environment. So how much slack can we build in, can we build in the cushion for time, attention and resources and reduce the drain on mental energy and then the cutting costs, temporal costs, financial costs, and streamline things. So these are things you might have already invented, uh, but now we can become more intentional. And if you can't get enough invention out of uh, your strategies to make the impact big enough in your community, you might just be solving the problem for people that, serve, that are served by your organization, but everyone else in poverty is still suffering. So we want to be able to think beyond what the individual can do to what the institution can do to what the community can do. And then finally, if necessary, you know, what can be done at the highest level. And that's what this uh, shows. The first step is identifying the problem. The second is what can the individual do? If that doesn't solve it completely, what can the institution do? Now we do these things and we have a lot of, we have reasons to be really happy about this. But sometimes you have to get to the community or county level to have a big enough impact. And then at the top of the blue, of the purple arrow, it should be step five. And that is where it, you do work at the state level. So that's where we're aiming this, we're moving it up and we're, we're covering all the bases. So by the time we get to going to the state, we're saying, look what's happened here in this community already on these issues, let's move up to a higher level. So 
Um, all of this is important and it takes us to uh, what a briefing book is. And I want Jean to kind of pitch in here and talk about uh, the briefing book. Thank you, Phil. If you go back and look at the advocacy scorecard, we list in there many, many items for you to consider as you go through this. Uh, however, the briefing book is more equal than the others. It is nonpartisan. It is done by either advocacy groups or governmental agencies. Uh, I have seen it done very effectively by universities, uh, government agencies, think tanks, um, and advocacy groups have come together to do to do briefing books that are meant to go ahead and help elected officials um, deal with the issues that they're facing and to also be able to talk intelligently about it. One of the key things is that elected officials and candidates often are going before Rotary Clubs and Lions and Kiwanis Clubs. And um, when they do so, they need to be able to make talking points and you can give them the stuff they need and also get them so we say tied with golden handcuffs into your issues. And this is also often a tool to bring together the various groups across the various silos. Okay, ask those who you already partner with now. Um, uh, you put in a preface uh, for the candidate selected officials. You're emphasizing this is nonpartisan. Repeat those phrase, repeat the nonpartisan phrase many times. You're, you put in your contents, executive summary, for each individual policy, who are the constituencies for your issue, you lay out your premise, and also if you have any polling that will back this up. And it does not necessarily mean polling that you have done, but it's polling that you have seen, and you can quickly Google. If you're about affordable housing, you can Google uh, what are the polls regarding affordable housing amongst Americans, and you can then break it down by various regions and also political persuasions. Gene, can I just interject? Sure. Sure. Um, during the, the Tocqueville meetings, it seems to me that these kind of, this kind of work would be done. Uh, does, that, does that make sense? Um, yes. When you're talking about uh, this work here, you would be uh, meeting, your group would meet, and then people would go out and do their investigations and pull together the data and the information so that, you know, you've, you kind of know where you're going, but you've got to do this kind of research yourself. Is that right? Yes, and uh, you earlier raised a very uh, key point about this, is that, is that if you only have the middle class in the room, you're going to get middle class solutions. And if you need to bring together all the classes, the poor and working poor, the middle class, and indeed also the ruling elite, into the room to be able to get solutions that they will all agree upon and all begin to support. So, so here's... Here's a story that we told the last time we came together, and this is from a water issue in Oklahoma, in Muskogee. And uh, the, I just want to point, it, point out to you that uh, this was a getting head graduate that helped another getting head graduate that was connected to the mayor and the people in the city who took their issues seriously on the water fees and took over a year to put together a, a solution that was more fair. Uh, instead of the poorest people paying $1.4 million a year, the cost was spread across the community in a more fair manner. And so you can see there's solutions on the right side. So this is uh, 
individuals taking action and the community taking action and making a community level change. And what happened from there was looking at the other cities in Oklahoma and finding out that that structure, uh, that fee structure was being used in almost every city. So that means that if we're going to take this to the next level, uh, that's where uh, that's where this book comes in. So we have this information about water fees and and how this would be worked into your briefing book and 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 how this all comes together. So Gene, yeah. So just look at this like a small, if you will, case study about water fees. So the headline, remember, you need to sum up this issue in eight words or less, and this is Sooners are thirsty for water fee reform. Okay. Uh, your next paragraph will be about water fees from across the state. In other words, you give sort of a uh, quick synopsis as to what the water fees are across the entire state, what communities are dealing with it effectively, and what can we learn from those that are dealing with this effectively. Also, members of the any any general assembly and indeed your counties and cities will want to know how this is dealt with in other states and communities. You need to also drill down and find out what are the fees symptomatic of. I have a suspicion that it's because um, at one point in time, our cities and our school districts worked very well because you conducted almost all your economic activity within five miles of where you live. Now, since nobody does, cities now find themselves starved of economic activity, and they turn and they begin to literally prey upon their own people. So you need to be able to outline that as to what are the macro reasons behind that. And, and then you want to do concrete solutions that do not include tax increases as the first solution. And here's the reason why. Um, too often I've seen in public policy where they say, here's a new program and we're just going to raise taxes to pay for it. Um, that's a high, is, you need to understand that the tax structure in any state or community is a highly competitive market. And also, this may not lead to the necessary reforms you need to go ahead and be able to achieve your, your solution through other methodologies. Finally, footnotes. Footnotes are incredibly important because you want candidates and elected officials to go out and utilize your work on the campaign trail, speaking to the Rotary Clubs. Um, and if they are attacked by their opponent and you have a footnote, now they have an affirmative defense on this. So, um, uh, so 17 bridges, so in the case of Oklahoma, 17 bridges counties joined up to act on water fees. This is just a, an example of what we're proposing here. It's a learning community. What can you do? Winning policies. Describe the issue in eight words. First paragraph is why they should care. Next sections for problems in depth, overwhelming data, concrete suggestions. Okay. Proposed policies. So here's just some things we've thrown out. Communities with an equitable water fee structures are given points in the competitive state processes for uh, in the state for water and sewer plants. Most states have a revenue sharing model for water and sewer plants from the state to the local communities. There's a scoring system. So that means then that for every state that has one of these um, allocation models that we've just talked about here, they can go ahead and establish a um, uh, given point. So if your community has an equitable system, you're given 5, 15, 20 more points in all of this. Also, transparency is good. Uh, 
the state needs to develop a uniform chart of accounts on fiscal activities of local governments. That data needs to be readily available on the website. Now, to get not to get too obscure here, uh, the SAC is now pressuring the generally accepted accounting practices uh, group to go ahead and change how we report local government spending and structures into a uniform chart of accounts so they can better judge bond issues. So this is much the same thing. And by the way, you may want to also begin as you go through this, involve bond councils in these various communities and point out that um, in many cases that their that how they have their fee structure is based upon predatory actions towards the poor and working poor. And the bond council will probably view that with uh, a scance in the gimlet eye. Another example would be if affordable housing. If the city adopts an equitable program, then those cities will be given scoring preference for funding for affordable housing. So in other words, you can do a whole lot of things here by just adding a few things onto your um, uh, scoring systems. Also, always appeal to the five core values. Uh, this comes from when I was doing some collaboration with, um, I'm a Republican, but I was asked to do some collaboration with Belden Rusnell and Stewart, who is uh, one of the premier Democrat pollsters on um, a variety of economic development and environmental issues. And uh, what, they come, what they gave me the insight on is people really make up their mind on the basis of their core values. And you, how do you determine a core value? You just keep asking people, why do you think that until they finally yell at you, get out of my face, that's just why I think, now just leave. And those tend to be family, children, health, security, and fairness, not everywhere across the planet. If you wanna see an example of this, go into any line uh, in uh, America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, everybody forms a line at McDonald's. You go to a McDonald's in China, it's all about sharp elbows. So the first four really work well everywhere on the planet. And the fifth one, fairness, only works in certain cultures. Okay. So always appeal. So in this way, so here it is, and this, this is the summation of how folks in Oklahoma want to talk about this, for example. In Oklahoma, because of the water fee structure, we have families and children now living in unsafe and unsanitary conditions. Is this fair? Right here, we've hit all five values. And by phrasing it this way, when you talk to members of your General Assembly, the governor's office, uh, your federal government, you've now hit upon the core values. and You should make good progress. So where do you meet to hand over a copy of the briefing book and bridges across every divide? You want to go to a place that serves breakfast all day. You want the um, you do not want to meet at the club. You want to meet at a place where you're surrounded by ordinary people. No alcohol. Okay. You want to be weighed on by a grandmother. Okay. You, in other words, you want to go to the most asexual place you can think of. You want to be surrounded by real people. Uh, ideally, a place where the owners practice bridges and getting ahead. If you have a, uh, for example, in my community, we have a um, local cafe that's an ESOP, uh, employee uh, stock ownership plan. So it's cooperatively owned by all the servers, the cooks, everybody. And that's the type of place you want to go to because we praise them in the book and you understand why. Take two others with you. When you meet with the elected official or candidate, sit in a booth. Put the candidate or elected official on the inside of the booth because that way when people come up, 
to chat with him. He just doesn't jump out of the outside seat and chat with him for that half hour while staying there. You have paid $11.65 for that pancake, and by golly, you're going to get your money's worth out of it. So, And then you need to prepare an ask. Okay, uh, You want to have something, something very concrete. Uh, the book goes into the details of how to how to be able to answer those questions. And, of course, then after you get done with all this, you, you know, in politics, you'll want to take a shower after doing all this dealing. And you often feel like this. OK, <laughs> I sorry. I had, you know, remember this. Some you have to keep you entertained here, too. But, um, <laughs> that's how you feel. So. Uh, what we what you've gotten here. Uh, as far as advocacy and policy work is just the tip of the iceberg. I'll reiterate that uh, after I left the Ohio House, I had eight bills, uh, ten, I'm sorry, ten bills passed in the law over eight years. That equaled the same amount of my production when I was in the Ohio House. So you can be very productive without a pack, and I, I had never had a pack. So here's the um, um, uh, keeping the um, iceberg upright. Um, use the bridges thinking tools to evaluate the proposed the solutions and confirm that the briefing book is consistent with bridges and getting ahead concepts. And I'll turn it over to Phil to discuss that just a little bit now. Okay. Thanks, Gene. Love that picture of the cat. The, uh, so I just want to share with you, just as a reminder, we have what we call thinking tool. And uh, so if I just go over some of the basic uh, ideas around policy and how our our uh, thinking tools help you get there. Uh, we'll wrap it up and leave enough to ask questions. We really hope that you'll have ideas. I, you have, you've already made policy changes in your institutions, your communities, and some of you at the state level. So we do want to hear from you. Uh, so this one you're familiar with. This is you know the one we showed you earlier where uh, Mary Hicks, uh, we kind of worked out what happened with the water fees in, in uh, Muskogee. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, policy papers, it's distinguishing what things we do that maintain people in poverty that would be getting by resources. Remember our definition of poverty is the degree to which you do not have these 11 resources. So it stands to reason, any policy we're gonna pass is gonna be about building resources, right? Stabilizing life and building resources. So much of our, our work is about maintaining people in poverty. So there has to be a balance between the safety net, which is necessary. We're a civilized country and, and resources that help people get out. And you know, in getting ahead, people are doing the deep thinking on this and they're making all the efforts they can individually. If our institutions are about building resources and stabilizing life and our community is too, sometimes we'll need the whole state to get in on it. So this is a wonderful tool, even funders and people that um, are in foundations and uh, politicians love this thinking because it's something we talk about all the time. And then there are these issues here. Uh, these come directly. Our column on the left are the Bridges concepts and we use the mental models of poverty. So what can we get out of that? And that comes to how stable is your life? Because we know the mental model of poverty is all about instability. So we also know about the hidden rules. And in the work that we do, are we you know, improving or worsening the interactions between the classes? Are we creating 
uh, inclusive uh, communities, the kind of communities we all want to live in. And, and what we're finding from, the, from our book and from the interviews we did with communities that are using our work is that we are rebuilding a place where you can be connected with people that are very different from yourself, all the divides, and have a hand in what happens next. And we're recreating those wonderful communities that we want to have, or maybe never have. So the issue of the resources I've already hinted at. So this is really at the heart and soul of it. You know, at the end of the day, is it possible for people to have higher resources? And it's not just money, it's across those 11. And then when it comes to uh, the one here at the bottom about creating a, a sustainable community and the four causes of poverty in this complex world that we're in, uh, does, does our policy address individual, institutional, community, and, and uh, policy levels? It has to do it all. Uh, po poverty is so complex that we just can't, we can't expect individuals to do it on their own. And the work we do in our institutions probably isn't enough either. So we're gonna have to do this. And, and we can't just keep uh, you know, dropping it on the people that have the least time, the least resources to uh, get themselves out of poverty. So use these thinking tools when you're analyzing proposals that that come from the county and state. All of them should be put through the ringer, should put through this thinking process. And when we propose policies ourselves, we should hold ourselves to these questions and to be able to, to think deeply about all of these things and be in a conversation with everyone at the table, everyone with a common language. But now we're going to just uh, turn the mics over to you. Uh, you can text if you like, but I'm sure you can open up your mics. And in fact, our organizers can do that for you. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you're doing and any questions you have for uh, Gene uh, or me. So the mics are yours. And like I said at the beginning of this during the ch early chat program, uh, I'll be uh, happy to take all the easy questions. Let's reserve all the hard questions for Phil. <laughs> hey, this is Ruth Wyrie. Thanks, Phil and Gene, for that great content. If you have a question that you would like to ask by um, voice, please unmute your microphone. Otherwise, it's open to put your questions into the chat. And Phil and Gene um, will get to those. Um, Edward Spencer, um, would you please go back to the, um, the mental model of a Bridges community of practice? Okay. That was really early on in the show, right? It was. Yes. Okay, we'll get back there quickly. Is that it? Yes. I think one of the things I like most about this uh, particular thing is that it really does represent that these all these silos of public policy are really been trying to, uh, uh, you can bridge across them. If I see that right, Edward said, I'm really straining. I've been trying to uh, for formulate uh, that kind of a mental model. Uh, well, we've been at this a while. We've had different versions along the way, uh, but I like this one because it puts policy right around uh, the inner circle because policies can take place at the institutional level, right? So okay, that's policy and procedure sometimes we think of. Uh, but mental models can always be improved upon. So if you have uh, ways of tweaking this and making it better, you should get a hold of us. <laughs> 
Yeah, we don't care what the cat looks like as long as it catches mice. Thank you, Ed, for that comment, question, and the work that you are doing in your community. Who else has a question? Could you repeat the core values that Jean covered? Oh, sure. All right. Uh, family and children, they are separate. Okay. Health, security. These are almost genetic values that tend to be universal in, uh, according to Belden, Rusnell, and Stewart, um, in all, just about all humans. Fairness is something that is a cultural value that is not universally found, but is found in certain cultures. In the case for the majority of the people attending here today, you would find it in uh, the United States and, and uh, Canada. So, and if you want to see that, just go to McDonald's and everybody, you know, you just automatically get into a line. Well, let me say something about the OECD. Yes. That's the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And all the developing, developed countries in, in the world are part of it. Most of them buy into the democracy and the, and the market, a free market. And if you take a look at uh, the recent comparisons between the U.S. and uh, Western Europe, for example, you're going to see extreme unfairness uh, in the, the uh, portion of income that's generated. And in the U.S., we have extreme inequality between the rich and the rest of us that you don't see in Western Europe. And and in getting ahead, we actually look at those things. And so people that are coming out of getting ahead are getting information that people in bridges don't usually get. So there are, uh, and it really does help to look at how uh, other uh, countries that are fairly wealthy are managing uh, their economy and their society and how much fairness is at play or not. And I think you'll be, uh, a little disappointed in how the U.S. ranks when you when you take a look at that. Also, I think that since we're heading in towards the last 80 days of the uh, midterm elections, you're going to see a lot of um, uh, candidates uh, and PACs, when they do their advertising, notice how they do these. It's about families, children, health security. Let me make a very important point here. Um, a lot of people will talk about the importance of the economics. You know, what is the economy like? Uh, how, you know, do people are, how is their job doing? Remind everybody that you, for the vast majority of people, you have a job as a means to the end. The end is to take care of your family, your children, provide for your health and give you a sense of security. Okay, so the job is a means to an end. If you want to see this, how many of you who uh, would wit play and win the lottery would continue working at your job? The vast majority of people do not. So they tend to go ahead and um, go off and do other things. The job, once again, is a means to the end. Have we heard from anyone else, Ruth? Um, uh, yes, here, Keith Adams, the step you had earlier for Bridges policy development, intro to Bridges, getting ahead, and later a collaborative community. I find this is the way I have been organically working on this. The map for a Bridges community has steering committees 
early and other steps. How do these two models interact? Read that last sentence to me again. The map for a bridges community has steering committees early and other steps. How do these two models interact? Uh, I think what you are seeing here is the organic way that it works. Uh, we've seen this happen again and again. It all works off of attraction. So a national trainer shows up or somebody here is a bridges trainer. They're attracted to the ideas. They want to do something about it. They start acting on it. They get good results. They get excited about it. They start sharing it. More people in the organization do it. And the next thing you know, they're getting better and better results and more and more people are trained. And that just is infected infectious it, it moves and the back in the late 90s this happened in the county that I was in and I used it at my organization then it moved over to the next and the next and the next thing you know our whole community that dealt with people in poverty were using the same language and and learning from each other it's very organic uh, and it has to be done through attraction you can't jam this down somebody's throat and expect them to do it uh, the studies on diversity training will tell you that if you mandate uh, diversity training around issues of race or gender, for example, you get a backlash. But if you allow the middle managers to become the champions of what could happen, things really go well. So it's about having people be doing it because they want to and are inspired to do it. And so you just work with those who are attracted uh, but now that we've been doing this so long, you know that it can start with one agency and spread to others, and then you become intentional. Uh, I think Muskogee lifted their community off the ground in five years, and others are getting off the ground very quickly now because we learn so much from each other. So it doesn't have to be this long slog anymore. Uh, our learning community will put you in touch with people that are doing it, and uh, you'll be learning from the people that come from similar communities so it, it moves itself towards that collaborative, but uh, silos are very entrenched. They're necessary. Uh, Gene says they should only be on farms. There need to be academic uh, silos and, and there needs to be departments and different disciplines. So healthcare and corrections and things like that. But uh, that doesn't mean that as you build this, that you shouldn't be talking across the tops of those silos and coming out of them. And so that's the, the purpose of starting a Bridges Steering Committee or Collaborative. And they go by many different names. And uh, to go to innovation for a moment, remember the steam engine spent the first 30 years of its existence merely pumping water out of coal mines in England. And then someone got the idea, hey, let's put wheels under this to see if it can propel itself. And so then <laughs> locomotive was born. Uh, so when you take ideas disparate things and blend them together is where you get innovation. Now, Pamela Anderson asked, why is there such a push uh, back and avoidance to address poverty and economic issues from the politicians? And how do we, the poverty informed, reach them better? I, I, she says, I know my thoughts, but I'm hoping you have a different insight. Um, I think there's, once again, do not think that there is a silver bullet. This is, once again, one of those silver buckshot solutions. I'll give you several points. One is that, unfortunately, in the past 
40 years, uh, are uh, we now increasingly self-sort on the basis of income, educational level, and as the book points out, also unfortunately, political belief. In fact, um, how you uh, now think politically, according to Matchmaker.com, is the most important thing that you you utilize when choosing a future mate. It's not religion anymore. It's their politics. Part of this is because how we are now uh, building our cities, our cul-de-sacs, our suburbs. Um, we are now engaged in economic demographic segregation. We no longer know people different than us in our youth, and we no longer live uh, near people different than us. If you go back to the age of the mythical age of Ozzy and um, uh, Harriet Nelson, um, they were um, uh, raising their boys in a community where the banker and the bank janitor lived in the same community, and um, the kids went to the same school, and the banker could write a letter of recommendation for the child of the janitor to get them into um, uh, college. The other aspect of this, as the book also illustrates in uh, the title about Larry, in the in about uh, a stooge of a different name, Larry Curley and Mo, um, the work from Ed Glazer that elected officials actively seek to create communities that are made up of people who will only support them. And they do that through a variety of means. So there's a variety of ways, but generally speaking, you just need to get them aware of it. They are by and large unaware of it. And um, if you, I'll tell you my own case. So when I first time I interviewed Phil, um, and you watch that video, and AHA has it somewhere on their archives, I know. You can watch me interview Phil, and you can see my mind stripping out all of its gears, you know, little teeth falling out of the gears and everything. Um, as he begins to explain all this, and I'm going, ah, this is the closest I've come to a unified field theory of public policy. And it um, for the elected official who's interested in public policy, they will really bite deeply into this work. Okay, we thank everybody for their participation and questions. And if there aren't any more, uh, we wish you all a good day. Jean and Phil are available to come to your community and work beside you in creating a shifts in the community. So if there's no other questions, we will let you go for the day and see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.